Welcome to Point Your Toes, The Adventures of an NYC Dance Teacher. I'm your co-host, Danielle Plantois. And I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We will be sharing our experiences and all their ridiculous and hilarious trips. However, to keep the identity of the students and companies we have worked for safe, we won't be mentioning any by name, and if we do, they will be changed. That being said, let's get into today's topic. The changing of the generations. Mm-hmm. So this is a topic that has come up a lot on a lot of dance teacher forums that I follow and just in conversations with different teachers in general, um, let alone dance teachers. And it's how generations have, like how each generation is different and how teaching is getting harder. And I think there are a lot of things that can be contributed to that. But for me, something that I really have thought a lot about is the kind of oversaturation of dance being on display. Now, I am all for exposure. Um, We did a whole episode about it. And I think showing your kids dance is vital. But when you have, so you think you can dance, Dancing with the Stars, World of Dance... I'm sure I'm forgetting, like, a Dance Moms was a thing for a while. There was um, no, um, there's, like, another one, too, or used to be. There's There's been a, a couple more, Yeah, too, like, there, there are tons of dance shows. I think FX had one going, and Oxygen had one going, and then, like, the dance teams. Like, there's, you, there's never a day that goes by that you can't cut on some type of dance on television. And while I appreciate that, I'm always for dancers being booked. I think it is open the door to a lot of people that don't belong in our field. Mm-hmm. As I constantly teach classes um, all and around the city, I constantly have dancers that want that want the tricks, they want the stunts, they want the amazing performances, they want the really difficult choreography, but they can't do it because they don't know step one. And they get exceedingly frustrated with step one. Or uh, something me and Danielle were talking about on air, uh, off air, was that um, the big, a really big problem that I'm seeing with a lot of my students is that I'll do them, I'll give them something complicated or difficult to master, and if they don't get it on, get it on the first try, they immediately check out. They have like total yep. breakdown. Or I also like, I've had the situation before, and I've seen this before as well, where they'll see on TV dancers doing all these cool like jumps and turns and all of mm-hmm. that and i like specifically when i was teaching pirouettes to one of my groups this year um i had a couple of the girls go I-, I know how to do that i've seen it before i practiced at home i i know how to do it and i was like you know so you don't um right. but nicer than that and i took them you know i broke down the steps and i you know basically was like okay well i'm gonna break it down with everyone this is what we're gonna do and then all of a sudden when they couldn't do it because i was asking them to do the preparation correctly mm-hmm. and spot correctly and mm-hmm. do the whole thing technically correctly and they couldn't do it they would completely freak out and they would like go in the corner and pout because all of a sudden they were like i don't understand why i can't do it and not listening and not just like trying to get it and I and again, I I remember being frustrated when I didn't get things when oh, I was 100%. younger. But I never remember the to my knowledge, and again, I know a couple of my former dance teachers listen. If I'm saying it wrong, please call in and let me know. Call me out. I don't remember full on breakdowns. Like no. I, and like and I mean I've had some tantrums, tears, mom and dad in my face yeah. when kids don't get things. And I, I similar I had the same thing when I was teaching turns as well. 
and some television show had just done extension turns and it, the uh, difficulty, generally speaking, with extension turns is that you end up hiking your hip up mm-hmm. when you're doing extension turns, which can, not, which can put too much weight on your standing foot and knock your hips out of alignment. Just rough down. So I was like, re- like, for me, I was like, we're not quite ready for extension turns. So grab the thigh, bend the knee. And so just get your foot used to the position. And as you get more flexible, then you can extend the foot. But not everyone is there yet. I had one girl who was there and who could stretch her foot all the way without hiking her hip. So, of course, I let her go at it. Yeah. I kind of almost wish I didn't because the rest of the class kept trying and they were just yeah. so out of line. Same. So they kept falling off their leg, falling right. off their ankle. It just kept that's, being issue after issue. And that's the other thing, too, is like it's a lot of... Well, if why can't why can she do it and I and I can't like that's not you know trying to explain to to kids like it takes time and we all learn differently and and yes. at the end of the day too like some people are just not turners and some people are just not jumpers. Yes, I yes. can I can turn now I can turn but I consider myself a jumper. But like I can't do all these crazy turns or do like twenty five sweat days in a row. Like I'm I'm not. I can't do that, and that's okay. But I think part of the problem is with the oversaturation of these dance moves being presented as perfect every single time. Yeah, it's hard for kids to understand why they can't also be perfect every single time. Which Tony and I were talking about before as well. I think is also a huge generational thing right now. With in terms of like. I want what I want when I want it, and I should be able to have something right away, and I should be able to get something right away without without working for it. I think that's also a generational problem right now, oh, yeah. but we're going to stay in the dance world. Well, but I, and to be fair, again, me and Danielle are in, we're 30. We're not that old, but I have noticed both colleagues like, and teaching, yeah. I've noticed a difference with people in their early 20s and the way that they, the way they teach and handle uh, the dance world themselves as performers and as choreographers like it's one of those things of uh like the um one of the thing i big note i've noticed is the the treatment of other dancers that i've noticed like uh particularly when i take teams to competitions or events and things like that the younger generation is very quick to put it on social media even if things are technically wrong mm-hmm and they're very quick to catch an attitude when the judges say something that they don't agree with. Yeah. And I, one, having been a judge at competitions, well, I'm, not quick to, I'm not quick talk. to jump down a judge's throat. Or if I, if I completely disagree, I'm not going to do it in front of my kids. But I've seen some choreographers sitting at 22, 23, immediately go down that road. And all their kids, who are, of course, upset for not winning or losing points or something, follow them down that road. And it makes, again, it makes me wonder training. Mm-hmm. Like training. And so I think this is another kind of point we need to talk on with the changing of the generations of why I think it's so different. We don't always have really well-trained teachers. Yeah. It's also just like differently trained. Like I was talking with Tony trained, before yeah. I don't even know if that's correct word but I was talking with Tony before we started recording um because I was telling him about an instance that um happened last week for me where I was taking class with a bunch of other teachers teachers that I work with 
and a lot of the teachers I work with, a lot of the dance teachers I work with range from, I think there's a couple that are that are like 23, 24, but the majority of them are between, um, I would say between like 28 and 35. And if I had to be completely honest, I think the majority is between like 30 and 35 with a couple mm-hmm. of like 20, 29 year olds and a couple of like younger ones. Um, they're all very lovely, and I love being able to take class with them when we get to take class together. But I noticed that when we were doing some across-the-floor combinations and stuff, um, the teachers I know for a fact are younger, are for a fact like only probably a year or two or three years out of college. Every time they, they dance, it was all about them. They went out of their way to like be sassy, put on a performance, and be like so extra to be honest mm-hmm. like the choreographer was like all right you're gonna do one pirouette turn she was like i mean if you really want you can do two like whatever but she was like guys like we're just we're taking class to take class together and like have fun and like develop our training mm-hmm. and i've noticed those were the ones where the younger was the younger group who was like I- i'm gonna do a double or a triple i have to every single time and i think that again I really enjoy them as people, and they're beautiful dancers. Beautiful, beautiful dancers, the, this crop of people. Really beautiful dancers. And when we talk about teaching, they've got some really awesome things to say, but I think part of it is a generation thing. Is like, again, I am 30 now, and if you are 23, 24 years old, that means you're seven, six to seven years younger than me. So you grew up with dance on TV and you grew up doing mm-hmm. dance on social media and I think that changes the way that you were trained and you were told how dance needs to look every single time. And that's a dangerous mindset like to just have yeah. because it takes away and again I feel like we've touched on this somewhat in the social media episode but the the difficulty of having such strong principles or just like it has to be perfect every single time. That is humanly impossible. Yeah. And I, I mean, and it's it's impossible in the simple fact of we're dancers using our body. So I would love to say that every single performance I've saw I've seen of a professional dance company has been flawless, but that would be a complete lie because they're doing five and six shows a week. Like your body yeah. has wear and tear. It's, so innately it, perfection is something to strive for, but it's just not achievable. Yeah. But social media makes it seem that way. And I think that we are training, even if we're not intentionally training students this way, I think we have to be cautious about it. Because I, for one, I don't always, I need to be better about this considering we have a podcast and I'm trying to be. I don't always post my kids dancing. Same. Like, I I have have to be way better about this. Yeah, we don't. (laughs) I like, I don't always post my kids dancing or my kids will take a video and they'll be like, oh, we're going to post this. And I go, you don't have my permission to post that as the choreographer, which mm-hmm. we're going to bring up a little later. But I said, you don't have my permission to post it. Why? Because your ankles twisted. That's not like I, I can give you a list of reasons. Like I, I just gave you a page of notes when yeah. we did the run through. So like, no, it's not ready yet for public display. Yeah. And I think that is what the, the complication is with dance being so public. And again, both good and bad side of it is because it is so public there are more jobs out there but I the also, downside to that is mm-hmm. more studios popping up left and right and dan- more dance spots needing to be filled yeah and i would love to say that they're all qualified but i've worked and took class with people and not everyone is yeah um <laughs> i want to touch a i want to touch on something really quick before we get back to that because i do have a lot to say about 
all these studios Quali- popping yep, up yep, yep. and qualifications. I also think that because of all of this reality TV show, which again I think is so great, it's both and the double edged sword, good like, and bad, right? And the idea that you can go audition and and be on this is amazing. But I think that the way that teachers approach um, performance quality and how you how you take classes become different. I am huge, huge on performance. I was the dancer who wasn't completely technically always correct, but I did get roles. I did get leading mm-hmm. roles or I did I did get solos or duets and dances because my performance stood out and it made people want to watch me. But that honestly like was partly innately me. And partly like what I learned is like I love to perform and I love to become the character and use my face and all of that. But I think it's almost taught a certain way now. And we've talked about this before, Mm -hmm. like you and I off air. I've talked with other dance teachers about this as well. All of the faces that dancers make now, these big faces, you got like this weird stink face, you got like really some some inappropriate faces. What is that And I think a lot of it is that, that again, I think a lot of this could be unintentionally. Dancers, students are unintentionally being taught that it needs to be like you are on camera. So when you are taking class, and I've noticed that from the younger teachers, when I turn around and take class for adults with teachers who are younger, again, it's all about me, 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 me. Look at me. Look at me being extra. And it's not necessarily performing to emote or to tell a story mm. or portray something but it's it's just being extra to get noticed and i think that unintentionally we're teaching dancers to do that yeah i would agree and well and the thing for me it's like time and place and i myself suffered from this a lot when i first uh when i first started teaching was i would want i would like start teaching and doing a co- i would start doing a combo and I would, I would either mess up myself dancing with them, oh yes. or I would really, really hit it, and then they turn around and ask me for notes, and I would have no notes because I was focused on me dancing. Mm-hmm. They're two different brains of how for me. I won't speak for anyone else, but for me, teacher brain and performer brain are two totally different things, and I honestly don't like doing them at the same time. Yeah. So I don't. So I will like when I'm teaching a combo. I'm the epitome of like your leg goes here, like mark the mark dancing type of thing, and maybe once or twice I'll do it full out as at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But once they start, te- once they start learning it and picking up the pieces, I have to stand back and watch because teacher brain is very different than performer brain. And don't get me wrong, when I'm taking a a, a class at BDC or whatever the case may be, wherever I'm taking class at, the performer brain totally can be on. When I'm in shows. You know, performer rank can totally be on. But when I'm in a training class or I know it's a group of teachers, that is not the, the space for it. Right. And I do think I do think it's that blending. I think it's one of those things where you get performers that aren't booked and need money, because we all need money, mm-hmm. that start teaching because they have great performance qualities, uh, a great performance resume, but not necessarily the teaching resume to back it up. Yeah. And I think that is where the problem comes because it's just it's not the same thing and i can think um i do want to get back to the whole um subject we were talking about before but the last thing i'll say was i was doing a show and i couldn't get out of covering this class this class that i was teaching at the time and it was in the afternoon 
but I could not get out of it. But we were staging a really big dance number. So originally, I was just going to go half the day and then go home. But mm-hmm. then as I was getting ready to go home for it, I was going to, I had rehearsal, teach the class, and I was just be done for the day. As I was doing that, the as I was leaving, the director and the choreographer came up to me and was like, hey, do you mind coming back to rehearsal? And I'm like, sure, of course not. Uh, whatever. Got to finish rehearsal, got to school, taught the combo, ran class, got back into rehearsal, and I I swear I was the worst performer ever when I got back for that second half of rehearsal. And what was so, like, everyone was laughing because they could see my brain not not connecting as a performer. I was doing very teacherly things. Like, I was watching other people dancing instead of dancing myself. Like, I was just, my brain could not click over. And at the end of it, the choreographer, she's like, I'm sorry we asked you to come back because your brain is not, like, you're not thinking like a dancer right now. And I said, yes. Yeah. Yep. I like I could lie, but I'm not. My brain like I've been giving notes and teaching. I said so my brain is not thinking like a performer. They're just two very different skills. And I think we have to train our kids as such. Yeah. You know, I think stop stop telling dancers I hate the phrase those that can't teach. Yeah, me too. Because it dis it demeans the time, effort, training, and energy that goes into teaching a class that is very different than performing. And I think that also plays a part into the training that we give our kids and how the generation we're losing them. And I think we're, I think we're losing them because we're playing the accommodation game, which uh, to me goes back to studios popping up left and right. Now I'm all for a good rival competition, Mm -hmm. but I'm starting to see in some areas where there's like a dance teacher on Avenue A and a dance teacher on Avenue C and they're teaching the same thing. A lot of them are even sharing teachers because teachers don't, you know, dance teachers and choreographers don't make enough. So they have to work multiple places. And I've seen the argument of studios being like, I don't like my dance teachers working multiple places, but then it's like livable wage. And it just becomes this whole mess of like, in such, especially because in particular, these are smaller towns. So I start to question in a small town of, let's say, 5,000 people or less because like some of these are really small towns so less um how many qualified dance teachers do you really have in yeah. that span of a town in, in that side of the I'm, town with the qualifications mm-hmm. to teach point to teach tap to teach hip-hop like there are so many genres that so many dance I, and I say this as someone that I cover a lot of genres and I will tell you I'm not a master at all of them and I will defer to someone better than me like, I, can, I am a basic ballroom teacher. So anytime you need some basic stuff, cool, I can slide in and do it. But if they start, I'm like, oh, you want way more advanced than me? Here, this person and this person's better than me. But I think when the demand is so high for dance, we start, we start getting teachers that are unqualified, which pr- starts producing students that are unqualified. Yeah. I mean, I think that it just goes back to... Um um yeah of like you are you you want to be this amazing performer you're watching all this happen you you go into teaching and then you a lot of times like you'll get kids who are like I want to be on I want to be like a kid on Dance Moms and you're like all right cool like I watched that show like let's do it Mm -hmm. and unfortunately um you're not you know you're not in a position to to truly teach them. We've talked about this before um, on multiple episodes where 
there is a difference between a performer, a choreographer, and a teacher and what that means and how mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that can cross-contaminate cross would you I would say between yeah. the three or two of the three, but there are some that unfortunately um can't they just don't they don't have it in them to to truly get grasp choreographing or teaching or performing and be strong at all three and I think a lot of it is like we have to vet these people, and what does that yes. mean yes I think I think that is a a big way to solve this problem is vetting your teachers. Also, I'll say this, vetting your students. Something yeah. that I constantly see on for, and again, I it all boils down to everybody needs money, and I get it. But I see a lot of times, and I give credit to the old heads, um, a term for older people, but the old heads of any industry, I love it when you get a lot of these young studio owners and young dance teachers, like I myself am still very young, but they'll be, I, I'm I'm very young, but I'm very aggressive in my teaching and mm -hmm. my time. So you'll get people being like, I have this comp, you know, I have this student that they're always late. There are always so many issues. I don't know what if, if I should just kick them or, you know, let them go. Uh, you know, they love dance, but I, they're such a pain in the butt, mm -hmm. you know, or it'll be the student's great. Mom and dad are absolutely crazy. She causes so many problems. And the young ones are always like, you know, I really don't want to lose a student. If I lose the student, she's the queen bee. I'm going to probably lose four or five other students. Every old head always chimes in, it's not worth it. Mm -mm. Whatever money you're going to make off them is not worth the headaches and complications. You're, and it, it just rings mm -hmm. true. I think you also have to vet students. Like I myself, particularly when I go into schools and have to create a program out of thin air all the time. Yep. I always go, oh, I need to have auditions. And they're like, for what? You're not going to accept everybody? I can teach anybody to dance, but I can't teach someone that's not willing to learn. And I think I think a lot of that too is it goes back to seeing again the double edged sword of it's amazing that dance is part of the mainstream because for so long mm -hmm. it wasn't. Yes. And like I remember growing up and being in elementary school and being made fun of even by girls who were like, Oh, so like you're a ballerina? Mm -hmm. Like I remember and now it's like cool if you dance, right? It's cool for anyone, boys, girls, whoever doesn't America's matter. best dance right. crew. Oh, that's sorry, that was, was another I was like, yes, there's a major hip hop TV. one I'm forgetting. Yep. America's best dance crew. You're right, sorry. you're right, you're right. But um, but I also think that part of the thing is a lot of kids go, I can do this. A lot of parents go, oh, this is really cool. You know, like, I want to be a dance mom and take mm -hmm. my daughter or my son to competitions. Send grandma your parents, video. Then. Like, the, unfortunately, a lot of it, too, is not even necessarily the kids, but it's it stems from the parents. Oh, and yeah. the parents aren't actually really serious about it. They just think it's cool because they've seen it on TV. Mm -hmm. And so then they send their kid. And if the parents don't understand under excuse me, understand the discipline that goes into trying to be a dancer and even as a recreational hobby activity, taking dance still seriously, if a parent doesn't understand that, the kid's gonna think it doesn't matter. And then that's when you get the the kids and the families who, oh, I know it's dress rehearsal, but like we have a barbecue. And a lot of it, yep. I think, stems from because, unfortunately, I'm not sure if these are kids who actually really want to dance yeah. or if it's just, like, 
they saw it on TV and they were like, I want to do that. And mom and dad were like, okay, great. Like, here's a bunch of money studio. Like, teach my kid how to dance. And then also, in turn, expect their kid to be amazing right away. And that, yes. And that's the thing that I, I constantly fight with is that they want the, again, they want the talent. They want the amazing tricks and stunts right away. When I'm like, no, it takes years yeah. to get to those things. And I, I think, I absolutely think you're right. When parents don't have that understanding, the kids don't have that understanding. And so the teacher becomes the only one making that argument for growth and development. Or the, the same argument that always shows up, my child's so advanced, put her with the higher oh, grades. And it's yeah. like, no. I, I actually had this conversation with some of my students today where they asked um, about whether our step team would be returning next year and the usual, I don't know, budget, life. But um, they said, well, what about the age limit? Because originally my age limit was fourth and fifth graders. And mm -hmm. I one sixth grader auditioned, and she was great, so I kept her. And they're like, but what about our age group? Like, next year, Kiana will be in seventh. Fifth grade, you're like, fifth grade's going to be in sixth grade. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? And I said, I'm not going to dismiss anybody because of it. And they're like, well, would you ever go younger? And I said, no. I said, there's a major learning curve mm -hmm. between kindergarten, first grade, and third oh grade. Oh, my God. Huge. Like, Huge. K through three, it's very, like, motor skills. And I say this as someone that teaches yeah. this every day. Motor skills are very different between a kindergartner in first semester and a kindergartner in second semester. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, when I put a, a kindergartner next to a third grader, we could be light years apart. No, and even just a kindergartner... Kindergartner second semester to a first grader second yeah. semester. Like I look at my K classes and yeah. my first grade classes and my first grade classes are light years further away because that's how much you were they like human that? body development. They were not. Let me be clear. They were not like that when they walked into my classroom at the end of August oh, yeah. of 2018. Yeah. They you they grow so much. And that's also why we have problems with parents and um, mm -hmm. leader, like leadership in our building yes. and other teachers yes, going, yes, yes. well, why is that all that's kindergarten doing? Can't they do more? So actually they can't and not because I don't think they're capable, but because their gross motor skills and spatial are not, awareness are, are not, not developed. developed. Like, and that is again, something I have to explain. And again, why I think generations are different is because we, and again, I'll keep this very short on my societal commentary, but we as a society, society are a lot more sedimentary. We don't, we are, we are not as active as we no. were several years ago. Being and, a teacher, being a teacher, I have noticed that kids, and I've heard that, like, <laughs> yeah. so I used to, and I understand that I teach in New York City. I understand yes, that, fine. Yes. But I used to, when I was a kid, I would play in our backyard. I yep. would ride my bike around. Yep. We would go to the park and play. Yep. We didn't necessarily, we barely stayed inside. Nope. And kids now, they're like, me. all they want to do is play their video games. And, and we, sit on their phone. We had video games growing up. Mm -hmm. But there was a, there was, it was different. And I think the thing is, like, the iPads and the phones, that's all they do now. Now, again, they're dancing on the videos. But, again, when we are, as a society, and, again, I'm a caught in this trap too we are a lot more we're a lot more sedimentary so certain skills don't develop as quickly yeah. or at all like something i've been teaching cartwheels and round offs and you know ba those basic tricks in some of my uh, elementary dance classes and a couple of my high school kids stopped by to say hi they were in town uh in that side of town visiting and they were like i don't think i could 
they, they like they was like I don't think I could do a cartwheel. That sounds so crazy. Like I can do other pirouettes and things, but I don't think I can do a cartwheel. And I go, well, after a certain age, your head doesn't go below your butt. Yeah. And they go, what? I said, after most children, I believe, if I remember, I think it's three years old, maybe four, maybe four. You're, you as a yeah. human being, your head does not physically go below your and butt. that's why, that's why. <laughs> so like, the skill of learning a cartwheel, it's not, you have to get, your body literally has to get used to that type of equilibrium again. Yeah, and that's why like those, those kids who learn things like somersaults and cartwheels when they're younger. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are able to bring it back when they're older. If you, if anyone's ever noticed, if anyone's ever taught or choreographed before, especially if you get like teenagers and you yeah. say you want to put a cartwheel in in wow. one of your numbers, if they've never try, done if it. They've never done a cartwheel before. It's like, you can try to teach them, but you realize quickly like they're not used to their body going that way. Yes. And a lot of it too is like I didn't take gymnastics. I didn't even really learn cartwheels and dance. It was just us again outside on a summer mm-hmm. afternoon True. in my front or backyard fooling around with my friends and trying to do cartwheels and handstands. Yeah. But that the reason why I brought up that whole point like that something as simple as that of your your head not going below your butt after 3 years of age. So when I when I get a group of boys that are like, "Oh, I want to learn how to do backflips in our dance." My first response is to laugh in their faces and being like, "Yeah, that's going to be really hard." We can do it. I'm here. I'm here for the struggle, mm-hmm. but it's going to be very hard. And they go, no, I can do it easy. I saw it on TV or I can do it up against uh, the wall. Or I but, saw it on TV. And it just becomes that cycle of where I'm fighting everything they know to just do it correctly. Yeah. And that, that I think happens in multiple forms of dance. Oh, like it you does. said, with the pirouettes. Yeah. And things like, uh, perfect example. Everyone, I, again, we, I'm sure we talked about this. Fuentes, they're not as great as everyone thinks they are. But fundamentally, for a fuente, you need incredible ankle strength. Mm-hmm. Most people don't stand on releve no. in their regular life. So when a child comes to me with no dance experience trying to go straight into fuentes, I'm it's like, like ah. you don't have the ankle strength. Yeah. You you don't have step one, but you want to jump to step 100. That is where yeah. I think the generational difficulty comes is because social media and the world that we live in shows a lot of 100. And I think unfortunately... And not a lot of one. Yes. And I think unfortunately when you get teachers who are also very into this idea of what dance has looked like televised and mm-hmm. in the public eye on social media and maybe haven't been as trained as well as a dance teacher should be trained when you get the kids that go but I want to learn how to do the fuete they're like cool let's learn how to do the fuete without taking step number 1 and i think unfortunately a lot of it is like I got kids that are trying to do fuetes not, that can't do pirouettes people, and that right, doesn't but that's work what I'm that doesn't work is, like, there are like, teachers uh, out there who will yeah. say okay let's yes, do the fuete and that's i don't true. think it's anyone sitting there going like i know we're not supposed to do it but like let's do it anyway i think they just don't know but then i turn around and i go to the studio or the school why would you hire someone like that? So it just yeah. becomes a big, like, unnecessary cycle because we're all trying to just make ourselves and our dancers look better. Yes. But, and again, this for me goes back to un unqualified teachers, untrained teachers create untrained dancers. Yeah. And untrained dancers are injuries. Yeah. And are short careers. Yeah. And that to me is like I've worked at a place where um, a choreographer that like is a lovely person, this person is not trained, and the new, the amount of injuries coming out of his class and his pieces are just upsetting to me. Like I just it makes me like 
physically angry yeah. with how many kids I recently saw them with uh, just braces and like I'm injured so I'm out this semester and things like that and it's one of those things of I would much rather dance as a society take a hit and we be less publicized and have more qualified and trained teachers then we keep going towards this pendulum of oversaturation of dance that's just not good mm-hmm. um, or Back to basics, you know, like that. Just the like, again, the idea. I, I like said, I've legitimately met dancers, like been been in, in performance situations where I've met dancers that are like, um, I can do fuetes, but I can't do a pirouette. Yeah, I don't even understand. And how and that that to me again, that's where my teacher brain goes. That's not right. That's not possible. It's you not can't. Even possible. You can't. Then you can't do a fuete. You can't. Yeah. Because like. My son, how do you land out of the fuete then? I how do you start your just, fuete? <laughs> right. I'm confused. Like, there's so, and again, so I think, again, and whenever these conversations about generation come up, my response is how do we fix better or leave gifts to the, the coming generation? Be honest with them. Don't skip step one. Don't mm-hmm. be afraid of hurting their feelings. Because mm-hmm. this will be my kind of my last little point on this is a lot of times, arts teachers are seen as the mean teacher. And I know in particular, I had this conversation with my students today where one of my girls is taking dance and she's also taking violin. And she came in with like crazy long fingernails. And the music teacher, as I was walking by, she was like, um, you, you're you never going to be able to play violin with those fingernails. And I was like, I don't know how step practice is going to go today with those fingernails either. Let's see how many you have when you're done. She had two left. Mm -hmm. Um, because stepping they just kept popping off and I was like thank goodness the glue wasn't serious and you didn't like start bleeding or anything crazy but she was um, but a couple of the other students were like yeah the the music teacher is very mean I said have you ever heard her play before they said yeah she's phenomenal I said do you think she got that phenomenal without a teacher being mean to her without that teacher finding that discipline to her Mm -hmm. and they were like you can get there but you don't have to be mean I said guys I yell at y'all all the time I'm mean to y'all. Yeah. yeah, but our performance was so good because this was the first time I saw them after their performance last week. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, but I our performance was so good. I said, guys, but that's the thing about it. I had to be mean to get to get you there, to break those bad habits. I said, so I don't, and they were like, but you don't have a problem with that. I said, she probably doesn't either. I have no problem being the one telling you it's wrong. It's wrong. That's not right. I would much rather tell you it's not right a hundred times than have you go off into the world thinking that you're doing something is correct when it's not. Yeah. So if I have to take the label of mean, I will. But again, I don't, I think that's the generational gap. I never had a teacher I thought was mean. I had a teacher that I didn't understand or didn't, I didn't get their style. Lord knows there's one point of teacher I didn't get their style. But I I don't ever remember, I don't ever remember me just be like, she's mean because she's yelling at me. No, I mean, I had a teacher who I thought picked on me more so than other students. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I called it when I was in middle school and even part of high school was I was like, she picks on me. Like, it's never never enough for her. Like, I always have to work on something more. Mm -hmm. But to turn around and realize that she was just trying to push me to do better because she knew I could get there. Mm -hmm. And I am so incredibly thankful for her training today. We're friends on Facebook. We're friends on Instagram. She's a lovely human being. She's so talented. And it was one of those where, like, she was just hard on me Mm -hmm. because she just wouldn't take me being like, I can't do it. She'd be like, no, you can. Mm -hmm. And so what I considered 
you know, at, yeah, at 14, I was like, she's mean. But then I'm like, wow, she really wasn't mean. Like, she was just trying to push me further because she mm-hmm. knew that I could get there. Um, but I think part of that, too, is, like, then as a teacher, like, you also need to, like, be responsible for yourself and realize, like, if you don't know how to teach something, like, that's okay. But instead of being like, oh, yeah, I can teach this trick. Like, I can do it. I can teach your child how to be on TV. That's not teaching. That's not um that's a lie <laughs> like it's not produce I'm, I'm trying to think of the word it's not producing well-trained dancers who are going to be able to either not only just like necessarily have a career in the arts in the future but even just like really foster that love for the arts because if they start mm-hmm. getting injured and it's only about like doing the trick they saw on tv like there isn't really a true love that you're trying to foster for them and those let me tell you right now, there are plenty of kids that I grew up with dancing who are very serious with me when we were all kids who don't dance now. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they are excelling so much in whatever career path they're choosing because True. they have that discipline. They know what it takes to be patient. They could think creatively. They have teamwork. All of these skills that you really build when you take dance. Mm-hmm. Um that's gonna go away if it's just about learning what you saw in Dance Moms. It's true. Well, that being said, that rolls us right along into a new segment that we're calling Question of the Day. So uh, these questions are all just, um, we'll do one to two a week. Um, This week we're doing one of just questions that pop up in the dance world that just seem like they have simple answers, but sometimes they don't. Um, And this particular question is, who owns the choreography? So in a studio situation, a studio owner will often bring in a choreographer for competition season or for individual recital, but typically for competition mm-hmm. season. And the choreographer will come in, set the piece, and then they leave. Maybe the choreographer is in the same city. A lot of times, particularly with us living in New York, we're, we'll fly somewhere else or travel somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I've set pieces in Connecticut. You know, I've gone out for a weekend, done a master class, and set work on a couple dancers. Um, so the question is, in this particular situation, I know someone that replaced one of the dancers and had to slightly alter the choreography because the dancer wasn't at the same skill level as the original dancer that was cast in the piece. Well, so it wasn't the story that, um, again, this is a true story, is that yes. they a group of dancers from a studio were at one competition and they wanted to go compete at another competition. I don't know when it was. I don't know if it was like the next weekend or the next month or whatever. A month or so. A couple weeks or so. And, one, and it was a group of five mm-hmm. and one of the dancers didn't want to go to that competition unclear if it's a parent thing no it was their choice whatever and then the the um well goes you were telling me right is that then they they went ahead they replaced this girl they went on to the next competition and the girl who ended up leaving who said i didn't want to compete got upset and said but that's my choreography yeah so the question is whose choreography is it um it's absolutely not the dancers never Never. And it never, and never will be. And no... Especially when you're a child. I, even, true. But even as an adult. Even as an adult. I it's not your work. I've never gone say it's I not no your, It's other, not your other. creative property whatsoever. So you can get upset that a dance you really like or you thought like you were really good at or you thought was, you know, specifically made for you within your group is done by someone else. Even, totally. Even you can, you when would be sad. choreography is made for you... It's not yours. It's still not yours. And you can be upset if someone does that, sure, but it's not yours. It is not your um, creative property. It's not. And then the question is, so 
does it belong to the studio, the studio or, the or the choreographer? Because I'm sure what happened is, especially if it was a get, not a teacher who choreographed there, but a, a guest choreographer that yeah, came in. In this case, it was a guest choreographer. Um, the studio, it was the studio's decision to replace the girl and then go to the next competition because mm-hmm. the guest choreographer is no longer there. So the question is, does the choreographer have a right to get upset if the choreography had to be altered a little bit due to this new person coming in. And Tony and I were talking about this before as we were reviewing this, and I have to say that unless there is a NDA signed, mm-hmm. yeah. it is, I actually believe, as someone who is a choreographer and freelance choreographer, I think if you were asked to go into a studio, this is a very specific example, mind you, if you're being asked to go into a studio and set a piece for competition and then leave, and that piece is and that piece is going to be done throughout competitions all season, and it, there'll be a teacher that works for the studio to, that's going to be there to like brush it up and clean. And it. you typically know that going yeah. in. I yeah, will yeah, say, yeah, yeah. like yeah. you'll it's be like usually like they'll have they'll have a teacher with you to learn it with you, be your assistant on it, yeah, and, then and be they'll like, be in charge take of notes and like write yeah. down costume choices and, they'll and all be that in other charge stuff. of running competition rehearsals because once you set it, you're out. You're not even going in yeah. for competition rehearsals. Um, so I actually think that unless there is paperwork signed, unless it is in your contract as the choreographer, that I actually think that the choreography, the creative content now becomes property of the studio. And I actually back the studio's decision to replace her because the dance was built for five people. Yeah. So the studio said, okay, there's no reason. I don't. We don't really understand why you don't want to go do another competition, but we're going to have someone else come in and yeah. do this piece and go to the competition then. Yeah, completely. I Yeah, I'm with Daniel. Like, unless there is paperwork it saying don't, and even and, and even then, as again, I say this as a freelance choreographer that does this all the time. I pop in, do choreography, and then I'm out. Unless, the, the thing of it is, the studio or their full-time dance teacher knows those kids better than you. Yeah. And they're they're making a cho- a choice with with more information than you will have, so I don't think it's fair for you to step in as a complete outside source and say no this and, this piece can't go to the next competition unless these specific five girls do right. It. Also, or, or just even other situation where it's like it has to have this specific thing. Like unless, I mean, unless you're like a big name. Uh, I'm no. not too quick to and again, uh, hop if on you that. are a big name, you're gonna have an NDA signed or something then that says like or, or a non compete thing or some, right. Some oh, but type even of, some big names I know, they're kind of like mm. and it wouldn't. It would be. It would be like an NDA or some type of paperwork that says like this is literally only done for th- with these people for this event and this event only. Yeah. But and you wouldn't know that, that ahead of time. And usually, also with guest choreographers going into to choreograph competition pieces. You're not picking the students that are in the pieces. Those groups or or those solos have already been That's formed. That's true. That's so very, you'll come very in true. and you'll be like, "Hey, we want you to set a piece on five girls. These are our five girls. This is what they're really good at." But the studio has already selected those five girls to work together. And so typically, I'm, even... I get video ahead of time. Yeah. Where I, like, I'll get an email and be like, here's a clip of them in class. Or here's what they did the last season. year. Yeah. So you so understand what very... you're working with. It's not... So I actually have to say, and again, it wasn't the choreographer that commented. Ooh, sorry. That's my water bottle. It wasn't the choreographer that commented on this. But yeah. um, I 
100% it's not property of the student. But I actually think no. in this case, again, unless there's legal paperwork signed, it does become property of the studio and the studio has the right to do with it what they choose. Yeah. Like there's just, I just, I would not at all include the students in this. Like the dancers, no, sorry, that's not. As someone in the professional realm, as a dancer, that's not how that works no. at all. I mean, um, I've literally had to sit down adults, like 26, 27-year-old <laughs> yeah. adults when I've choreographed musicals who I was out for a day and the dance captain turned around and changed it. And I said, what happened? And they go, well, I thought that this would look better. No, honey, you're not the choreographer uh-uh. and you're not the assistant choreographer. Uh-uh. You're just the dance captain and you don't get a say in what happens. Right. That's that's really how it is. You don't this get a say. This is not it. your property. This is my property. And you can we've talked about this on choreography oh, episodes yes. before. You can't see it when you're in the midst of it. So it's just it's one of those things of like I again, I think we are get caught up a lot in how we feel and not the reality of the situation. So I'm sure you're upset that they replaced you. You thought the dance wasn't going to go on without you. But one, that's not how the industry works again. Oh. Two, oh. that studio owner made the best decision. And I think that choreographer honestly wouldn't be mad. No. Um. So yeah, that's that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Well, that being said, the curtain has closed on this episode. But we hope that you guys will join us next week. And every week after that. We want to say a special thank you to our listeners. Our numbers keep growing, and that's all thanks to you. Episodes come out every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Music are perfect places to do that. You can find us on Facebook at Point Your Toes. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at Point PYT. You can email us at PYTNYC29 gmail.com. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, the adventures of NYC Dance.